Welcome to Building the Future, Freedom, Prosperity, and Foreign Policy, a podcast series focused on updating the United States soft power playbook to meet the hopes and aspirations of developing countries because it's in America's interest to do so. I'm Dan Rundy, Senior Vice President at CSIS. There are a lot of global challenges out there, so let's get started. I'm joined today by Eugenio Diaz Bonilla, head of the Latin American Caribbean program at the International Food Policy Research Institute. Eugenio has a wealth of knowledge from more than 40 years of international experience as an economist, diplomat, and policymaker at the World Bank, UNDP, OECD, and Inter-American Development Bank, among many other places. Eugenio, thanks for taking time to join us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks to you, Dan, and congratulations to CSIS and the work that you are doing on prosperity, development, and geopolitics. That's very important. Thank you so much. The reason I wanted you to come on today is you wrote a book 10 years ago that I read cover to cover called A Long and Winding Road, The Creation of the Inter-American Development Bank. Now, I think you know this, Eugenio, but each of the four regional development bank presidencies are going to come open in the next 12 months. The presidency of the EBRD, the presidency of the African Development Bank is, is going to be re-upped, and the current president will likely get re-upped. The Asian Development Bank presidency is going to change, and the Inter-American Development Bank presidency is going to change. We did an event around the um, 60th anniversary of the IDB here at CSIS about the role of small states. You were at a dinner that we did. And then there was a long, I thought, a very successful 60th anniversary celebration here in Washington uh, hosted by the American government. But when we were together, you told me about this book you had written with uh, Maria Victoria del Campo about the creation of the IDB. I had no idea. So first, why did you write this book? Well, when you are in an institution, I usually, I like history, and I wanted to know about the the, the you, were the, you, you were the Argentinian executive, executive director. director at the Inter-American Development Bank. It's like being the Argentine ambassador to the IDB. Correct. And I represented um, Argentina and Haiti. Oh, wow. So I and I was member of the Committee on Budget and Financial Policy, so etc. So you are in the operations of the bank, but you want to try to understand the institution as a whole. So I began to look at the history of the bank. I was invited by the George Washington University to teach a course about the operations and history of the bank. And, and as you know, when you teach something, <laughs> you, you, you learn. Really you really learn, learn it. Exactly. You have to explain it. So I decided to write this book in 2010, putting together all my experience and the notes. And I had the privilege that uh, Enrique Iglesias, the admired former president of the bank, he wrote the prologue. So yeah, I published in 2010. And it was the interest in the, the history of the institution, but then I, I began to realize a lot of other things about the institution that perhaps I may comment or That's I just what prompted me to, exactly. Right. The IDB today does about 10 or $12 billion a year in lending in the region. Correct. Mm-hmm. It's a very big force of good in the region. Correct. One of the things that shocks me, I, here in Washington, I feel part of my job is to try and translate for Americans like, why do these institutions matter? You can't get a mortgage from the IDB. You can't mm-hmm. get a car loan from the IDB. Why do these institutions matter? My take is that these organizations have a lot of moral authority, especially in the region like Latin America. What struck me, I was at a meeting that General Kelly convened in Miami in Southcom, Southern Command, mm-hmm. with three presidents of El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. And the president, uh, Luis Alberto Moreno, the current president, was there, 
of the IDB, and he, when he spoke, they all stopped and listened with great interest. So it's an inst- institution with influence and moral authority for a number of different reasons in ways that perhaps even the World Bank doesn't have, I think. Okay, so you wrote this book because you were teaching a class, you were the Argentine ambassador. Some of the things in this book shocked me. So how did the idea of an inter-American development bank come about? Okay, the first point that you made, why a bank may be important for the U.S. and for the region. We are all interested in prosperity, social inclusion, democracy, and peace. And I think this institution basically helped to do that. And it was an institution that was created in a long and sustained dialogue between the U.S. and the Latin American countries. It didn't start in 1959. It started way before. When did it start? Well, I would say that Pacific Dialogue about the bank started in the first Pan-American conference that the U.S. called in 1889-1890. You know, at that time, it was like a seven-month event, and people from all the region came, and the U.S. was very much interested in having a dialogue with the republics in the, in the southern area. Remembering, you know, Thomas Jefferson always talked about our sister republics of the south, no? So there was this interest. And one of the things that came up, and I was an offer from the U.S., is the creation of, of a bank, a private bank, but with shares from all the countries, because at that time there was no an international bank in the region. All the international banks were British or Europeans. So there was this interest of having a, a bank that would have branches in Argentina, in San Francisco, in New York, in Chile, in Rio Janeiro, etc. And that was not only the only thing, because the U.S. offered also custom unions, so a trade agreement with all the region, and a common currency. And then some of the, the countries in Latin America that were at that time more linked to the U.K., they say, well, you know, we are with the U.K., so why do we need to get into that? But in any case, in the end, it was a proposal. It went to the Congress. It, it stayed several years in Congress, and basically it was not voted in favor, it was voted against, and basically because of the, probably would say, the some of the private banks in the U.S. thought that this was a big, big bank. And it was competition. In a, in a competition, so it was not created. Then there was another round of this discussion in 1913 when the Federal Reserve was created, because at that time the problem was monetary instability and exchange rates and the, the gold standard and so on. So when the U.S. creates the Federal Reserve, there was some discussion with the ministers of finance and economics in the region about extending the Fed also to Latin America. Nothing happened, but that was an idea that that was discussed. And then mainly during the Second World War and the concerns in the U.S. about Nazi Germany and fascism from Italy or from Franco, so they thought that it was important to support the sister republics in the South because the Latin Americans kept on saying, we need a bank, we need a bank, we need a bank. And so a bank, the Treasury at the time particularly, worked on the idea of a bank with Mexico, the Mexican delegation, and they defined the charter of the Inter-American Bank in 1945. It was, again, went to Congress in the U.S. because at that time that World War II was in full swing, then the U.S. decided to move to a more global view. So it was, and then the idea was to, to have a bank, a world bank. Like a Bretton Woods. Correct. And the Bretton Woods are based on the charter of the Inter-American Bank because the Inter-American Bank was a 
huge bank uh, in the powers that it had. It was a commercial bank, an investment bank, and a sort of a central bank. And besides the resistance that created in some of the banking community in the U.S., uh, in itself was too big. So when the, the Harry Dexter White discussed with Keynes, that I know that that, that has uh, some issues uh, in oh, I history. To, I want you to talk about that. So Harry Dexter White, did he work on the Inter-American Bank? Yes, he was He was the point person for the Inter-American Bank uh, at the Treasury because Morgenthau wanted to help the region. It was, he was also interested in, in seeing what happened in Asia. So it was an idea of having economic support to impede the advance of fascism or Nazism in, in the developing regions, quote-unquote, no? in Latin America and in Asia. And so Harry Dexter White was the point person. So he was very much into the details of the, of the charter. And then that charter was the one that he used to discuss with Keynes the creation of the World Bank. So basically, the, the commercial bank part of the bank, of the Inter-American Bank, disappeared. But the investment bank was the, the, the World, World bank. bank, and the central bank was, was the, the IMF. IMF. With some other things, sure. because the, the, the U.S. had had a experience with a gold stabilization fund and some other uh, instruments that they were used before. So that those, all those ideas were converged into the IMF. And then for several years, because the World Bank and the IMF existed, then the Latin Americans kept on saying, you know, we want a bank. We want, we want a, a bank. regional bank for ourselves. We're a regional bank. And nothing happened. But then during the Eisenhower administration, then the convergence of the points that your own program makes, like this important prosperity, peace, and development and security are all intertwined. So the Eisenhower administration recognized that point and decided to move with the, the program. I'm sorry, I have to mention Harry Dexter White, a traitor to, the, to his country, a terrible Soviet spy who did design with Keynes the Bretton Woods Institution. There's a wonderful book called The Battle of Bretton Woods that talks mm -hmm. about this. Harry Dexter White was slated to become the head of the IMF, but we knew that he was he was betraying the United States to the Soviet Union. And so he was named instead the U.S. executive director of the IMF. Mm -hmm. And then he died before we could get him, which is too bad. So it wasn't a grand plan that the Europeans were going to get the IMF. We were going to get both. Right. Too bad for us. And so <laughs> we and I would rather have the IMF, frankly, because, you, you know, for a number of different reasons. But but the point is sort of the the funniness of history about this inter-American bank being the blueprint, even though I, I will just say Harry Dixon was a very, very flawed vessel. But the World Bank and the IMF have remained very successful institutions. Absolutely. From 1889 to 1959, 70 years, there was an attempt to get a regional bank. Correct, correct. So the moment in time that mm -hmm. I focus on in your book is the visit by Vice President Richard Nixon to Venezuela. To Venezuela, correct. To, to Latin America. He went to, uh, to Argentina for the inauguration of President of Argentina at that time. And then he had... Who was, who was the president? Frondizi. Frondizi, right. Uh, right. So, so he, he went to Argentina, he went to Venezuela, he went somewhere He went else. to Uruguay, Peru. He was, it was a long, a long trip, and uh, he ended up in Venezuela. But what happened, he almost was killed in Venezuela by an angry mob. 
Correct. And it was Venezuela at the time was supposed to be the showcase of development in the region. So it was, it was sort a democracy. Of, it was that, pretty exactly. stable. Exactly. So it was a, it was a shock in the U.S. policy making circles that that could happen in Venezuela. We would have expected that to happen in some this other was, places. This was pre-Cuba. This was pre-Cuba. The Cuban revo- right, this right, pre right. the Cuban Revolution. Exactly. So at the time, we had the Cold War in full effect. Correct. We had, the Marshall Plan was be- beginning to wind down in Europe or had was in the Correct. process of winding down. You had you didn't have an Asian Development Bank. You didn't have an African Development Bank. No. You didn't have an EBRD. You had the World Bank and IMF, but increasing worries about communism and domino theory. Uh, 1958, the book The Ugly American had been written, mm-hmm. which is a very was a very influential book here in mm-hmm. Washington. And then so he went to Venezuela and is almost killed by an angry mob of sort of an anti-American mob and thinking, mm-hmm. we better wake up and pay attention to some of the things happening in the region, right? Correct. Is that basically it, what happened? Yeah, that was the, the analysis. And um, President Eisenhower sent Milton Eisenhower. He had a, um, a visit to different countries and came back and said, well, yeah, there, there are social problems, economic problems, so we better do something about that because that also or, has or implications. they might go communist. Right. It has implication for security uh, or security concern from the point of view of the U.S. So, And Eisenhower did something very intelligent in my view, which says, okay, if you Latins want this, but you have to put more money, you, and, and then you have to be accountable and, and, and head the institution. So in the end, they created something, at that time it was 60% of the shares were paid by the Latins and Latin American countries. And who were borrowers. Were the borrowers and the owners. So yeah, they were the same borrowers time. and owners. It's like Correct. a cooperative bank. Exactly, it's a cooperative, and 40% of the U.S. When it was expanded, the bank to Europe, Canada, Japan, etc., then the U.S. Uh, left 10%, and the region left 10%, and so that allowed the other people to buy into the shares. But still, Latin America has 50.01 against 49.99. But what this is important, that was also um, a bipartisan policy, because you can argue that, in fact, the Alliance for Progress in from Kennedy also, it's a continuation of the policy review that happened during the Eisenhower administration. So it was created by Eisenhower, but the bank began to grow because and, and of the- operational in, in the yeah, Kennedy administration. Because of the support of the Alliance for Progress. And the bank was created with several features. So the, the bank, not only the Inter-American Bank, not the Inter-American Development Bank, influenced the World Bank, but the operational aspects of the Inter-American Development Bank then eventually influenced the World Bank because the World Bank didn't have social programs, didn't have a a soft window, uh, they didn't have technical cooperation. So all those ideas that a lot of the Latin American countries kept on insisting, we need not only money, we need expertise expertise, and so on and so forth. So the, the IDB was created with all those instruments and then the World Bank took them later and there were hearings here showing you know they were telling the world bank no see what the idb is doing so you went you know and the, do the president of the world bank at the time called them did not like these low interest loans he said these are right right he made some despective that's not a word in english but i despectivo <laughs> he made some despectivo remark about low interest loans and yeah. there's some famous story about che guevara about the with the president of the IDB, right, about toilets? Toilets, right, because the first operation uh, the first operation that the IDB approved was a water and sanitation program in Peru. It was not supposed to have economic profit from that, and therefore the World Bank was not doing these sort of things. And apparently the history goes that the, 
president of the World Bank called Felipe Herrera, the president of the IDB at that time, and, called, and told him, I believe that your country, the, your bank must be very liquid. <laughs> <laughs> like making toilet jokes, right? right? exactly. And then the Che Guevara in the Uruguay uh, meeting of the, when the, at that time was still supposed Cuba, Cuba maybe, was considering to join, and so Che Guevara exactly. was foreign minister. Correct, and he was there, and, and he disparaged the IDB being at a bank of toilets. And what did Felipe Herrera respond to that? Well, he said that it was a very important part of the development. He said it was a bank have... of toilets. It's also a bank of roads and a exactly. bank of electricity oh, yeah, and yeah. a bank of human dignity. He went exactly. on and on and responded yeah. in a very thoughtful way. Yeah, it's the idea that development includes a lot of social infrastructure as well. So, And that, that was another of the contributions of... What, what I wanted to emphasize in the book is also this dialogue, this permanent dialogue within the region. No? That you, you could say started perhaps with Thomas Jefferson, Washington, the idea that there are sister republics that we need to work with. And work together. And exactly. And then, of course, you had cycles. And it, sometimes there were uh, controversies and so on. And there was also cycles in the, uh, at the world economy. And usually when geopolitical concerns and bad cycles in the world economy the situation in the region got bad, then that's the moment that the Latins want more support from the U.S. At the same time, it may have been more controversial. But in any case, one of those cycles led to the creation in 1959. And then there was another cycle in the 70s and 80s that moved from the more state center view of development to a more market-based view of development. And also led to an uh, expansion of democracy in the 80s and 90s. And now, as a world level, I would argue that we are, we are again in a cycle, in an economic cycle with a lot of uncertainties. And so in that sense, it's very important how the future president of the bank analyzes the situation and helps to lead in the, into this new era. No? Always maintaining the assets of the bank. One is the fact that you need to work on consensus. Second, small countries have a voice because, as you know, the voting system is not only shares, but it's also individual countries. You need 15 countries of the region, to of the Americas. The exactly. In that 15, the non-regionals do not count, but Canada, the U.S., and the 26 borrowing member countries, you need to have half of that. So 28, therefore, you, ha you need 15. That makes sure that the small countries also have a voice. At the same time, the U.S. has veto power on some important decisions because it's the main shareholder and put a lot of money in the, in the trust funds and so on and so forth. So I think it's, a, it's very balanced. And that's not the governance structure and decision-making structure and the prudence with which you need to manage this. And sometimes it's not recognized by the private sector risk analysis because it's not that the borrowing member countries are debtors. They are, as you said, they are owners as well. So you, probably you have as much capital in the bank as you may have debts on the bank in, in several cases. And it's your institution. You don't want the institution to go bad. And in fact, there were very- It's like a credit union. Yeah, it, it, everybody is responsible in front of everybody. So it's a different sort of risk. And unfortunately, sometimes it's being rated as if it were private bank, which is not the case. It's a very special institution. It's not the World Bank. It's not the African Development Bank. It's not the Asian Development Bank. It's, the governance is very special, and that has to be, I yeah, think, it's, recognized. It's, it's different 
than the World Bank. It's different than the Asian Development Bank, different than the African Development Bank, different than the EBRD. In Correct. terms of the, the design. Of the balance, of the balance of, uh, of the different partners. Uh, when I was at the board, I didn't like the, the word donors. I, I always thought, yeah, you know, yeah. we are all partners here. We are concerned about peace, democracy, prosperity, social inclusion in the region. This is important for the U.S., it's important for Europe. There are good spillovers when the, the region yes. is doing well, and bad spillovers when the region is doing bad. So That's all true. Uh, so we need to keep on working on that. Tell me about China. When did China become a member, and what is China's role in the IDB? China became a member recently. Uh, I was at the board. It was the moment that, at that time, the, the U.S. general policy was inclusion of China in the engagement with China to make sure that it was part of the different the WTO, etc. It has a very small share, so it doesn't have a, a strong voice at the board. They do put some money in some trust funds. And yes, that, that's one of the things that needs to be managed very carefully because, of course, China is interested in natural resources. The Latin American countries are interested in investment, but at the same time, you need to make sure that democracy works. And so you need to make sure that all these different aspects are, are considered and the geopolitical aspects as well. So in my view, you have going forward several broad themes besides the, the points that you made in with your uh, co-author in, in the very nice piece that you wrote on the Inter-American Development Bank. Uh, you have like several aspects that are not necessarily, and you sort of suggested that at the beginning. The IDB needs to play a more of a coordinating role, a role also on different topics. I and, totally agree. And one is the points that you made, you know, this combination of drugs, um, money laundering, corruption, youth without employment or education, inequality. That's a package that you cannot solve with small projects here and there. You need to have common work. You have a common strategy. Exactly, for the region. The other I don't think the U.S. on its own can do it. Only the IDB can do it. The, the, I, I, I would need, argue. The, you need to work with the OAS. You need to work with the World Bank. You need to work with the CAF and all the regional institutions. FAO has also a strong presence in the region. So the UNDP. It, it's something that is all the international organizations working with the civil society, the governments and the civil society in our countries. It's a continental program to address that issue, which is the main bad externality that Latin America is generating. Then you have something that may be good or bad externality, but it's also something for collective action, which is the, the Latin America is the main net food exporter at the global level. If you put all Latin America, it's more than the US, Canada, New Zealand, and Australia together. Really? Yeah, as a food exporter. Really? So it helps to stabilize prices and quantities. But at the same time, Latin America is the main provider of global environmental public goods, you know, carbon sinks, oxygen, biodiversity. And we are not being careful in managing these two things together. They are two important public goods, food security and environmental sustainability, and they depend on whether we in Latin America do the right thing or not. So I'm, I'm, I was very happy when I saw that, that you were uh, calling to, to look at some of these, the interac interaction of all these issues in a I think it's in January. And that requires a huge investment in science and technology because that's the only way that you can put all these things together. For that, you need to have funds to prepare those projects. You have technologies that can help with natural resources, sustainability, and food security. 
and make you know more clean energy and so on. And that's something again that needs collective action, and I think the IDB should be working on that. So, Yanni, here's my last question for you: We're going to have a new president of the IDB. Mm-hmm. If the new president walks in the door October one of twenty twenty, what is the right agenda for the next president of the IDB? A specific level of topics, the points that you made in your piece, I think they are great. They are very. Oh, that good. makes me happy. Yes, very good. Then you need to think not only in terms of operations within the bank, what what sort of collective actions programs you can have. And I, I would argue first this issue of drugs, criminality, et cetera, uh, money laundering, corruption, that's one big block. The other is food security and environment. The third one is democracy. So those are issues for collective action. Then specifically the bank is running out of money. So you need to have a good program. And I would- you need to make a case for a capital increase? I don't think uh, there is appetite for a capital increase. What you need to do is be much more creative as we tried to do it during the first crisis at the board. We invented different things in which you can expand the, cap- the capability of the bank to, to lend. But particularly now is how you engage with the liquidity at the world level that is getting negative yields. Returns and make a good case that we have. Why don't you piggyback on our projects and get bring money into those, right? Like it's like an, almost like an asset exactly. management function. And there, there were several ideas discussed at that, about these points at, at that time. So that's the issue of, of resources. So the issue of leadership in, in key topics, the issue of resources. And of course, then internally within the bank, there are a lot of administrative aspects that operational aspects, human resource aspects that need to be, in my view, adjusted a little bit, but that's more like the nitty-gritty of the bank, and so it's not a general, and there may be different differences on, on how to do it. But I would say three big collective action programs and how you mobilize private sector money that now is not... Uh, Te compro. Te compro, Eugenio. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Listen, thanks for coming in. Thanks to I you. loved your book. The book, again, is called A Long and Winding Road, The Creation of the Inter-American Development Bank. Eugenio Diaz Bonilla, Maria Victoria del Campo. Can I get this on Amazon? Yes, it's free. You can download the... It's free. The, if you download only the PDF, not the cover, it's free. If you want to buy the cover... You want to buy the cover. Or, yeah, it's a nice picture of the OAS. Uh, Eugenio is getting a second house. He's building a second <laughs> house off the copies no, of no, The no, Long and Winding Road. Uh, no, no, I'm buying myself. I'm giving out the, the, the <laughs> book. Uh, but... No, so I'm not going to make money out of You're that. Not make, this is not a money maker. No, it's, it was just it was an, fun it was, to write. It was a labor of love. And, and yeah, and, and it's... It was fascinating. I, I, was, I was truly fascinated. I read it cover to cover. I learned many things from the book. That's why I wanted to have you on. Thanks for coming in. Thanks to you. Great to see you. The same. And to be continued. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts. From Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power... AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org podcasts to see our full catalog 